Summer stories. How many of you are enjoying summer stories? So good, right? Well, tonight we're going to talk about Noah. Noah. So turn to Genesis chapter 6. Woo! I'm glad you all are excited about the word. All right, Genesis 6. We're going to start in verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. How many of you know the story of Noah? How many of you have heard Noah in the ark? Most of you are nodding your heads. Okay, good. I'm going to give you some fun facts in just a second. All right, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And then he goes on and he tells him exactly how to make it. All right. So there's the beginning of the story. Here's some fun facts. Are you ready? The ark, as you read the dimensions of the ark, it goes on to say, this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's with 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. You'll make a window. You'll have three decks, lower, second, and third decks. You'll have a door in the side. All right? Here's some fun facts. The ark was six times as long as it was wide. That is the same measurement used by shipbuilders today. Isn't that amazing? God's smart. It was, it was, the ark was one and a half football fields long, 150 yards. It was four stories high, 45 feet, approximately. Its capacity, the inside, what it could carry on the inside, exceeded what 500 railroad cars can carry. You think the 120 train on the Burleson Road is long. (laughs) Think 500. We have 500, right? Um, Every four, it rained for 40 days, you know that. Um, The water covered the highest mountain by 22 feet, according to scripture. Um, They spent over a year in the ark, because even though it only rained 40 days, then they had to wait for the water to go down, and then they couldn't get out on soggy ground. Right? So they waited. They were in there over a year. And the day they went in the ark is the day it rained. Pretty cool. Every ancient culture has its memory of the worldwide flood. Since every ancient culture came from Noah's three sons, they all remember. Right? So every culture remembers. Um, In Williamstown, Kentucky, this is all, when we lived in Michigan, that was about four to five hours from our house, but it was really close to Rupp Arena. And if you've met my husband, then you may or may not know he's a huge Kentucky basketball fan. So we went to Rupp Arena one day, one year for a game, and we went over to Williamstown, Kentucky, where they have the Ark Encounter. You may have heard of that. They've, re- they've reproduced the Ark in its exact measurements. It is amazing. They have, you know, they've kind of formulated how Noah and his sons would have taken care of stuff because you have to think about feeding the animals that were on the ark. You have to worry about what happens after you feed the animals on the ark and uh, where to put all of them. And it is amazing. So if you ever get a chance to go, I would say well worth it, but give yourself like three to five hours because there's so much in there you want to read about and see. It's very cool. Anyway, those are your fun facts. Okay. So let's start with um, the elephant in the room. Usually when you talk about Noah, everybody gets upset because why, why, why did God do this? Why did so many people have to die? Why? Um, As you probably know, I wasn't there. 
So I don't really know. Um, number one, I don't really know. But if you read verses 11 and 12 in the Amplified, let me read them to you. The earth was depraved and putrid in God's sight. The land was filled with violence, desecration, infringement, outrage, assault, and lust for power. And God looked on the world and saw how degenerate, debased, and vicious it was. For all humanity had corrupted their way upon the earth and lost their true direction. Let me just define a few of these words for you, okay? When he says the earth was depraved, that means corrupt, wicked, destitute of holiness. When he says putrid, that means it was in a state of disillusion, like dissolving. It was dissolving. It was disorganized as in rotting. When he says it was filled with violence and desecration, desecration means the act of diverting from a sacred purpose. When it says infringement, that's the act of violating an agreement. When he says outrage, that means to treat with violence or abuse, to injure by rough and rude treatment or language, assault, attack, lust for power. So that was the kind of stuff that was going on the earth when this happened, okay? So that's what I do know. Um, I don't really know why it all had to happen this way, to be honest with you. One, I wasn't there. Two, um, I haven't really asked God about it, to be honest with you. I haven't sought God about it. I'm sure if you wanted to seek God about it, you might get some answers. But number three, the reason I don't know is because when Eric and I were teaching um, Bible studies in the public school system. Um, every year, it's amazing to me that public schools can teach the Bible, but the things they always teach about the Bible are like Job, Noah, and you can't bring a Bible. If you open a Bible, teachers freak out. I had to te- I brought a Bible to my Bible class, you know, to my English class, um, because we were studying the Bible as a historical book. And when I went to open my book to show her something, she freaked out. Oh, my gosh, you can't open that in here. No, 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 we, we can't open that. Um, okay, okay. Well, they study Noah. They always tell the story of Noah, and they did this in our local public school. And so a lot of kids were upset. A lot of kids were upset about it, including church-going kids. And so I just decided to address it in FCS one day, which stands for Fellowship of Christian Students. So during the lunch hour, we would have Bible studies and they could come. Well, it happened, and I really wasn't thinking about it at the time, I'll just be honest with you, that our FCS was in the English teacher's room. And she was in the room when, but she was a churchgoer. She was a Christian. And so I brought it up in the classroom one day and I said, look, guys, you are not to be identifying with the people who died. You're supposed to be identifying with the people on the ark. That turned everything around. So that's another reason I don't really know, nor have I sought the Lord, because I don't identify with the people who were left behind. I identify with the people in the ark, so honestly, I don't have a problem with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that might sound, I don't know how that sounds to you, but I just identify with the people who, you know, if you want to know how to be one of the people in the end of the age, right, that gets saved, then you have to do what Noah did. And he walked with God, and he lived out his righteousness. So if you're just doing those things, you don't have to worry about that other detail, right? So let's make sure that we're keeping right perspectives on things. Um, But with that said, I also want to say um, this shouldn't shock us because God has told us this is going to happen again. One day. I mean, not the flood. But there will be people saved and people not. People rescued and people not. Right? This isn't, and this shouldn't shock us. They'll never again, at the end of the story, we know God said there'll never again be a flood. He'll never do that again. So that's another reason I don't have to go and I don't worry about it. Because it'll never happen again. Right? So bottom line is, too, I kind of just trust God. If that had to happen, then I just trust him because he's good, he's loving, his, he has a covenant of kindness that never runs out with us. So even though I don't understand why it happened, I trust my God. Okay? So, well, is that dealt with good enough? So, but we know that this is going to happen again, this judgment thing, right? At the end of the age. In fact, Jesus, 
himself says in Luke 17, 26 and 27, and you can find it in Matthew 24, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So the coming of the Son of Man is going to be, so remember what I said? Things in the Old Testament are understood in the New Testament. Yes, so God reveals things to us in the Old Testament about the days ahead. So Luke 17, 26, and 27, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They all just kept living, right? Up until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So um, my next point with this is kind of sobering. But the absence of judgment of sin, like present judgment, like today, the absence of present judgment of sin or rebellion is not an indicator that God is okay with it. Judgment is reserved for one day, but he's warning us today. You know, it's possible that Noah spent a hundred years building the ark because he was 600 when he went in. And he was 500 when he had sons. And then a few verses later, God says what he says. So it's possible he spent 100 years building that ark. And according to, I think it's Hebrews, it calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Meaning he was preaching. He was warning. He was telling them. And you can't tell me God wasn't either. You know what I'm saying? 100 years they had to, to change their ways. See, God is very, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not slack, meaning he's not just going to do nothing, but he's long-suffering means he's giving you chance after chance after chance. He's giving people chance after chance after chance to change their ways. But present The absence of present judgment is not an indicator that he's okay with sin or rebellion. Amen? All right. So as we go past this, God begins to talk to Noah about the flood, the ark. And then um, we have the Bible's first mention of the word covenant. The first mention of the word covenant in the Bible is to Noah in verse 15. He said, Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth, this is verse 17, to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life, everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, every creeping thing of the kind after its kind, two of every kind will come to you, will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So we're talking about summer stories. Stories of victory, faith, and obedience. Did you get that last verse? Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. He obeyed. And Hebrews 11, verse 7, so it's not like he just obeyed because, you know, it was the right thing to do. Hebrews 11, 7 tells us, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which according to faith. So, because he believed God, right, that's faith. Because he had faith, he obeyed, which means it produced action in his life. And thus, he was an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith, which he was rescued, right, in the flood. I'd call that victory. Would you call that victory? I'd call that victory. God destroyed everything evil, but Noah overcame evil. Amen? It says he was just in his generation. That's awesome. So if you, I mean, if any, if we ever wonder how are our kids going to make it in the day we live, it's all around them. Noah did. Noah did. Noah did. So we use that as our example. We go to God and we say, Lord, Noah made it. 
No one made it when no one else did. My kid can make it. I speak that over my kid, right? This Bible is supposed to be for our example. It's so that we know what we can believe for. Amen? All right. So Noah did this. So it's obedience and faith. Doing what God says is believing him. That's our part of the covenant, right? God does his part. We do our part. Our part is to believe that God will be God. And then we just do what he says. That's our part. So my question is, are you doing what he says? <laughs> because the reason I ask this so that we can consciously think of it is God wants to destroy every work of the enemy in your life. But we have to obey what he says. Right? Remember, Noah. So when it, let me read you another verse. In 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20, it tells us this about the people in Noah's day. You can turn there if you want. 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20 states that Jesus went and preached to the spirits that were in prison from Noah's day. Except for it says in the Amplified... Oh... Sorry, um, maybe it's Amplified Classic. But anyway, and it says that Jesus, it states that Jesus went and preached to the disobedient spirits in prison from Noah's day. It actually says, dis- which we know they were disobedient. Hello, because they didn't make the ark, right? So we know they were being disobedient. But that word disobedient, when I looked it up in the original Hebrew, that word disobedient meant disbelieving. Willfully disbelieving willfully not believing because let's face it the only reason we disobey god is because we don't believe him (laughs) we don't really believe what he says you know people steal because they don't really believe god will provide right for example right so our actions follow what we believe so these people in noah's day were disbelieving disobedient so That's why I want us to remember that Noah's left behinds were disbelieving. They were disobedient. So when I ask you, are you obeying what God has said? Like even in your personal life, you know, sometimes he says, don't eat that, don't drink that. Personal words to you. But we don't want to believe that that's causing a problem in our life. So then we're not getting the result that God, the victory that God wants us to have. But he's speaking. Does that make sense? So we can't be disbelieving. We've got to pay attention. In fact, Proverbs 4, 22 through 23, you probably all know, it says, give attention to my words. Keep them in your heart. They are life and health to you, right? And then it says this, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. That means out of your heart, after you hear God's word, if you will take his word and put it in your heart, and believe it, right? Because that's the deal. you got to believe it. So keep your heart with all diligence out of your heart, for out of your heart is what's alive. So do you understand? Are you getting it? Okay. So um, I, say, I say that because Noah, and you guys have heard me say this before, I'm sure. I'm sure I've said it in some of the times I've spoken before. But when you read the book of John in the Amplified Version, every time you come across the word believe, It says, cling to, adhere to, cleave to. Okay? So when you believe God, you cling to him. There have been times in my life where I needed something to change. And I, or I wanted something to change. I knew the word on it. And I kept doing the word on it. And I clung to the fact that if I would do the word, that it was going to work. I mean, like, you know, like with everything that's in you. I remember when my son was growing up, and I might have told this story before too, I'm sorry. But when my son was growing up and I had to spank him, you know how they are when they're like two and you're like spanking them every time you turn around. And I found a verse in Proverbs, I think it's 23, that says if you, if you, um, if you spank, pretty much if you spank your child, they will give you peace. And I would spank him, and then I would go to God, and God, I'm spanking him all. Lord, I'm spanking him because I believe your word, that he is going to give me peace. 
Lord, he's going to give me peace. I'm going to keep doing your, and I'm crying. Lord, I'm going to keep spanking him because I believe your word that one day he's going to give me peace. And I kept spanking him and kept spanking him. And today, oh, he gives me such peace. I cannot even tell you. Praise God, right? Those are the kind of testimonies we should share, though, that the word works. If you'll just cling to him, cling to the word, it will produce what he tells you it will produce. Amen? See, the righteous today are still saved because God is still God. If we will do what he says, he still knows how to rescue the righteous. We have a covenant with Almighty God. We have a covenant. It started on, you know, that it started with Noah. If we would live righteous and do what he says, you know what I mean? Just be obedient because, because you believe him. Not just be obedient because that's the rules. There wasn't any law when Moses was alive. So it wasn't about that. It was doing what God said. Okay? We have a covenant with God. He's our God and we're his people. So we got to let God be God. I mean, I know that's like a cliche. Some times people say, let God be God. But we got to let God be God. Let him be the guy, the God that rescues you. Be his people and let him be your God. Amen. I'm talking to myself. (laughs) Our job is to believe that he can rescue me. He can rescue me because he's God. He can rescue me. And I just do what he says. I keep doing, you know, there's been time in my life where I just, like people come against you, but you keep doing the next right thing. You just keep doing the next right thing, putting confidence in your God that he will rescue you. If he has to come against them, if he has whatever it takes, if he has to remove them, he will because he's for you. He's for you. But if you start being for you, now you just violated the covenant because he has to be God, not you. You got to let him be God. These are things I've learned in my life that I'm passing on that you probably know too, but I'm just passionate about it because it works. It's, it works. It works. So let me tell you a story. In Jeremiah 13, 1 through 11, you can turn there if you want. Maybe I'll read it word for word. Jeremiah 13, 1 through 11, God speaks to Jeremiah and he tells him this story. That he, he gives him these instructions. The Lord said to me, go and get yourself a linen sash and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord, and I put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, take the sash that you acquired, which around your waist and arise, go to the Euphrates, hide it there in a hole in the rock. So it's like this, right? Good thing I wore this dress tonight. He took this off his waist and he went and he put it under in a hole underneath a rock by the river. Okay. And he said, so I went, so Jeremiah did it. I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, arise, go to the Euphrates, take from there the sass, which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and I dug and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it. And there was the sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus says the Lord, da, 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 da. These evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts, walk after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. Listen what God says next. For just as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they would not hear. So what God is saying here is that we are meant to cling to him. <laughs> and when we do anything other than cling to him, we're good for nothing. Totally unprofitable. I mean, isn't that what Jesus said? Without God, I can do nothing. Jesus said, without him, I can do nothing. I'm completely unprofitable. Completely. So we've got to cling to our God. We've got to believe what he says. Never, never, you know, I wrote this down in my notes. He's not going anywhere. It's us that lets loose. 
You ever seen a kid hanging on to their dad's leg? Their dad's leg? Well, that's that's clinging, right? But God's not going anywhere. If if anything ha- if anything changes that relationship, it's us that lets loose. God will not. He will not. And we can't turn and cling to something else or someone else for rescue. In your situation, I'm telling you, whatever it is you face, whatever it is you may be going through today, cling to your God. He knows how to rescue you in a big way. He knows. He's so smart. (laughs) He will rescue you. He will rescue you. Don't turn to your job. Don't turn to overtime. Don't start working Wednesday nights when you should be at church. Don't stay home and think sleep is going to do it. Cling to your God. He is going to come through for you. He will, I promise you. I promise you. I could testify of so many times in my life. This is the story of my life. This is all I know how to do, Deborah. This is all I know how to do. My life, I was telling someone the other day, my life is so great. (laughs) And you know, sometimes you feel bad, you know, saying that, especially if someone around you's life isn't great. But they gotta know our lives are great. I mean, our life should be great. We should be telling people, oh, my, my life is so great. I've learned what God says. I do it. And oh, my, it just, it just works. And it's awesome. And every day I have a blast. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they need to hear from us. But we have to be practicing what I'm saying so that our lives are great. Did you hear what he said? That his people would be for renown? That means people are going to know about you. Why? Because you're happy all the time. People talking about you. They might as well be talking about you because you're happy all the time. They might as well be talking about you. Well, yeah, yeah, nothing. You know, everything always goes her way. She's the teacher's pet. Those are the kinds of things they should say about us. Right? Because we're for renown. We're for praise and we're for glory. That's what we're for when we cling to him. When we cling to him. So we have to be so close to God. We have to stay so close to him. You know, Psalm 91 says that we're in his shadow, right? In the, in his shadow. That's how close you have to stay for him to be your refuge, your shelter, your ark, right? You have to be in that shadow. And I mean, he will come through for you. All right. Let me see where I am in my notes. Other things I want you to understand. Noah walked with God. In, that was habitual fellowship, habitual fellowship. And he, because of that, he did not become like his evil generation because he kept walking with God. It starts with this knowing, this, this relationship that he's great. Like pastor was saying in pre-service prayer, he's the great I am. Why would you want to walk with anyone else if you have a choice? He's the great I am, and he's my God, mine. Make it personal. He's the great I am, and he's my God. I have a covenant with him. Not only do I promise to be his people, he promises to be my God. That's, you know, I don't understand these people that say stuff like, you don't have to go to church. Are you kidding me? I am not missing one second. I mean, I come to both services on Sundays because I don't want to miss something. What if something happens and I'm not there? I'm just one of those people that doesn't want to miss something. And my husband laughs at me, but I mean, if God shows up, I want to know about it. I don't want to hear about it. I want to know about it. So I go to church. You know, the Bible says something simple like where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus said that. So do you know you have a personal guarantee from Jesus that he is here tonight? Oh, my gosh. Woo! He's here right now. He's here walking in your midst. The healer, the savior, the deliverer is here. In Acts chapter 7, verse 26, it says of Paul and the disciples in Antioch, after they assembled together for a year, people called them Christians. So don't tell me you don't have to go to church. I mean, if you want people to call you a Christian, I think, I don't know, I just think going to church teaches you how to be one. (laughs) All right, back to Noah. 
It says in um, Genesis 6, 12, in the Amplified, it says that man had corrupted his way and lost their true direction. They lost their true direction. They weren't going where they were supposed to go. So guess what? They didn't end up where they were supposed to end up. You know what I mean? If our lives aren't where we look in the Bible, remember this mirror? Where we look into this mirror and we see what the life of a Christian is supposed to look like, if my life doesn't look like that, then it's not the Bible and it's not God. <laughs> I'm not doing something right. And I just had to come to grips with that. I mean, I don't, you know, sometimes we just got to like put some pride down and say, okay, I'm doing something wrong. You know, there were times in my life, when you first get married, it's a big adjustment. <laughs> Especially if you're a smart, independent woman. And uh, so it was kind of an adjustment for me. And I did not like the word submit. Like, if you're a man, don't even come and tell me that word. Back then, you know what I mean? Like, shut up. And so I would look in this Bible and I would see things like in Peter where it says women are supposed to have a gentle, quiet spirit. And I would be, and I would say, I don't have that. I don't have that, Lord. You're going to have to help me with this. And I would ask him for help. And he helped me. He helped me. That's all I can say. I don't know how it happened. (laughs) Because, you know, I don't know. He just softened my heart so that I wouldn't take, I guess, I don't know, take it so hard that I wasn't the boss. And, and, but you have to look in here at what the Bible says, what what the Bible says is supposed to be yours. And if it's not, then find out why not. And then submit yourself to the word of God and for God to change something you're doing. You know, I heard recently a preacher say, you know, everybody, everybody wants what the father wants, but they want to live like the prodigal son. But they want the father's money and his life, the father of the prodigal son. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's so true. You know, we, there's, I just believe God. You know, I don't care if it's Old Testament or New Testament. If God said it, I obey it. I I, I don't, I'm not even going to argue with you about whether or not it's right or wrong. You can decide for yourself. I'm so far past arguing about what the Bible says. I'm just going to live it. I'm not going to get in a discussion to you on what, if such and such is wrong when it's in black and white, but it's Old Testament. I'm, I'm not even going to talk. I'm not. I don't care. I guess I just, I just, I just love God. And I just want to obey him. I don't care what he says. I'm going to submit my life to it. And I'm telling you, my life is great. <laughs> and so all I can say is, I, it worked for me. I don't know. I don't stumble over words in the Bible. I don't stumble over his thou shalt not. You know, I just try to bring myself in line. Am I perfect? No. God doesn't expect me to, but he wants me to want to be. Right? So they lost their true direction. I am a big Toby Mac fan. And... um Yes, thank you. And I, I, because I just connect with the words of this, I'm a lyrics person. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like beat, but I got no rhythm. But anyway, I like Deborah knows. I like Toby Mac songs, and he has this one song, and in it it says, it's about the backseat driver. You guys heard that one? I'm not going to be a backseat driver. And in the song, he says, I want your way, Yahweh. That's what I want. Because it's always going to work. It's always going to be for my benefit. It's Because it's not for God's. It's for me. So I just want your way, Yahweh. They lost their true direction. What was it? Your way, Yahweh. Your way, Yahweh. It will always be success. And that's, how, that's the only way I know to tell you to get success. The only way I know to make your life work. The only way I know to make your marriage work. The only, I, it, to make your money work is to do it God's way. It's all I know. It's all you're ever going to hear from me. Because it's all I know. (laughs) Can you imagine, I wrote this down, the your way, Yahweh. Can you imagine the pilot telling the control tower a better plan? 
because the control tower sees everything. All the other planes, right? All the weather, all of it. And you're in your single plane, and you're trying to tell the control tower what you think should be the answer. I mean, it's laughable. Joseph, it's laughable, isn't it? Yeah. You know, some people say God is my co-pilot or whatever. No, he's not. He's the control tower. He's not the pilot. He's not driving. He's not going to make you do. He's not going to make you go his way. You drive. You drive, but you should be getting commands from control tower. Right? Your way, Yahweh. And then another point about Noah, and I love this one because I go to God on this one when I don't know what to do. God gave Noah detailed instructions. Detailed, down to the letter, three stories, this many cubits, a window, a door. Detailed. So when I don't know what to do or I don't have clarity, I remind God, God, you gave Noah detailed instructions and you're no respecter of persons. So I'm expecting clarity in this situation and I thank you in advance. And then I wait. Did you know Noah, even though he could see out the window, he saw the water was gone. Did you know he did not leave the ark until God told him to leave the ark? Even when we think it's safe to go outside, <laughs> he did not go outside until God told him to. That's just someone who obeys and then reap the benefits of it, who made God God and didn't try to be God of their own life. The word Noah means rest. The word Noah means rest. When the flood came, the flood ridded the earth of evil. Did you know you can rest while there's enemies all around you? God will deal with them. You don't need to. You can be at perfect peace, just like Noah. You are in perfect. You stay in the ark. You stay in the shelter of the Almighty. Perfect rest. Perfect rest. The word flood is the Strong's word, 3999, and it means deluge. I want you to remember this for later. Deluge. Now, according to my handy-dandy Webster's 1928 dictionary, which I love, um, deluge means, which this is crazy, flood means deluge. Deluge means to wash, which that's what it did. It washed the world of evil. It was gone. It was gone. And then in the Webster's 1828 dictionary, it says to wash, and then it semicolon, the great flood or overflowing of the earth by water in the days of Noah. That was the meaning for deluge. Isn't that great? But you know, when I read that, it made me think of Ephesians, where it says we're cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. And... Let's see. Okay. Now, I say all this to get here. I know sometimes you guys are like, where is she going? On Sunday, and I, you'll just, are you, are you okay sitting for a little while longer? Okay. On Sunday, July 28th, I was in prayer at home. I wrote this all down so I would not forget. I was in prayer at home before the service. Sunday morning. I was in prayer at home before the service. And God began speaking to me about breakthrough. So I came to church expecting a powerful service. That's how we should come. Did you hear Pastor pray that pre-service? That's how we, we should come ready when we get here, not drudge ourselves in and expect Cassie to do something. Right? No. You sh- okay, so I was home before the service. God was speaking to me about breakthrough, and I was expecting a powerful service. And so then I came to church, and I don't know if you know this, but the leaders of the church, the ministers and stuff, um, on Sundays we gather in the back and we pray over the service. I'm the praise and worship team also. And so in pre-service prayer, while we were praying, I saw a house. And the house had a substance inside that, was, that had puffed up and puffed out the windows. I was looking from outside. I saw a house and there was like a substance inside. You know, like in cartoons when like a cake grows past enormous capacity and it starts coming out the windows like puff, puff, puff. It was like that. It was puffing out the windows till it looked like it would just pop. And my understanding in that moment was that God was filling the house to such a degree 
that he, till he even pushed out at the openings. On the heels of seeing this, I immediately saw inside, like our church, and I saw a force, an invisible force. I saw people with like demons sitting on their shoulders, speaking to them, ministering to them, holding them captive, whatever. I saw an invisible force all of a sudden not demons off of people that were inside the building. And I knew within myself that God, that this is what God wanted to do. And so as we finished pre-service prayer and we came out because praise and worship was about to start, as I walked to my seat, I just kept hearing the word in my spirit, deluge, deluge, deluge. And I immediately thought about rain because I thought deluge was rain. And then I thought of the flood. And this is where this message came from. It was from Sunday morning, July 28. God downloaded this entire message to me as I stood on the front row. So I had an encounter with God. We talk about that all the time in this church, how we want people to have an encounter for God. I had an encounter with God on Sunday, July 28th, in here. And what God said to me was about the deluge is that he has the absolute, that the absolute power of God, when I started thinking about the flood, I realized the absolute power of God to rid us of the enemy. Where God said, then God began to download this entire message to me on his ability and his eagerness to never flood the world again physically, but that he did not promise to do that spiritually. God is still the God that can completely make your enemy vanish from your life, just like the flood did. He can come in in a moment, in a moment and do this. You know, some people say, God's not coming soon. Look at the state of the church. It took 40 days for God to completely, entirely cover this physical earth with rain. How much time do you think he needs? He could do it in 40 days from today. He could change everything. I immediately thought of the verse, Isaiah 59, 19. When the enemy comes in, Like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. That word, lift up a standard, means to flit, to cause to vanish, to put to flight and cause to disappear. That's what the Lord is willing to do for you when the enemy comes knocking at your door. God can and will break through for you. That's what he wants me to tell you. He can and he will break through for you. He speaks and things happen. He speaks and things happen. And when we speak what he says, things happen. When I know Eric repeated what Ken Ledford said, but when we give testimony, it gives God the opportunity to do it again. So we have to be talking about what God has done. Whether it's in the Bible or in your personal life, it gives him opportunity to do it again. And he wants to do it again. (laughs) I just want to tell you just a few quick stories about the times God has done this in Scripture. In 2 Samuel 5, David inquired of God, should I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And God said, go up. I will doubtless deliver them into your hand. David went and defeated them, and then David said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, they called the name of that place Baal-Prazim, which means Master, Lord of Breakthroughs. God knows how to break through in your situation, and he will. But David inquired of him what to do. Amen? In Exodus 14, 13, Moses and the Israelites stood at that Red Sea. And Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. God will accomplish for you a salvation that is amazing. Something you never even knew he could do. If you just let him be God. He made a way for his people and then he made the enemy vanish. Right? That's what he did. Another example, what about the plagues in Egypt before they left? Remember the plagues came? I mean... There was darkness that covered their deep darkness. They couldn't even see their hand in front of their face, but not in Goshen. 
Now where God's people were, there was light. Right? There was locusts covering the earth, but not in Goshen. See, God can do amazing things if we'll let him. If we'll let God be God. You know, the Bible says, had our enemy known, they would never have crucified our Lord. Why? Because three days later, it all changed. Three days! Three days! And our, we know this, Third John 3, 8 says, Jesus was manifested. Why? To destroy every work of the enemy. Every work of the enemy. God can defeat your, the enemy in your life in a moment. In a moment. Everything can change. So cling to him. We've got to cling to him and let him be God. He wants to be God. Now, one verse I want to point out is God says, call on me and I will answer. This is where we miss it. It's so simple sometimes. And let me give you my own personal example. I was riding home from um, here, the ministry, two days ago. This is so embarrassing. Two days ago. And I had this headache. And it was like, sometimes I'll get a headache and it's no big deal. And sometimes I'll get a headache that, like, in the past, never again, will um, become one of those crazy big headaches. I don't know what they're called. What are they? Migraine. And I end up throwing up. It's horrible, Okay. So it was kind of one of those headaches, and I could kind of tell where it was heading, and I was just like, oh, gosh, i got to get home and lay down. (laughs) Remember my example about don't think your rescue is laying down? And so um, Trina had sent me a song um, by text, and I was listening to the song in the car as I was riding home and singing along because I had heard the song before, and the chorus has a line in it that says, speak the name. And I thought to myself, oh, yeah. I'm singing it out loud, like, yeah, speak the name. And I'm like, oh, yeah, speak the name. So I finally spoke the name to my headache and um, got home, you know, and it left. It left. Call on me and I will answer. Call. Sometimes that's all we forgot to do. You know, we do all these other things. And he says, that's God speaking. Call on me and I will answer. God cannot lie. Call on me and I will answer. One time, I want to tell you about some other songs are like, they're songs of deliverance. You know what I'm saying? So get rid of that song that I gave you because I'll use it in a minute. But um, songs minister to me. And they're easy to remember because they're rhymy or they're with melody. So they just, when you have songs that echo scripture, oh man, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for psalmists who can write the word in song. You know, there's a lot of songs, you know, not every song on Christian radio echoes scripture, okay? So some of them I am quick to turn off. But then there are songs like, Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. That just, so simple, so simple. That's clinging. I will never let you go. You know, sometimes when trouble comes, Sing that. Tell the devil, no, I will never let him go. I don't care what you do. He's my answer. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I will never forsake him. I will never. Early in my life, I was dealing with some things, and um, I'm going to, these are some oldies, but there was a song out that said, Shout to the Lord. It was called Shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord, all, you know, all the earth, let us sing, power and majesty, praise to our king. And it went on and on. And then the last line of that song said, nothing compares to the promise I have in you. I would stand in church and I would sing that song with tears streaming down my face because I sang it in complete faith. Lord, like nothing is going right, but nothing compares It was almost like the way I felt with my son. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Like when I sang that line, I knew everything in my life was going to turn around. I would just keep believing him. The promise was real. Some people say the struggle is real. (gasps) The promise is real. You don't have to struggle. He will do the struggle for you. The promise is real. Nothing compares my Jesus, my Savior. 
remember the chorus of that one? Oh, so you have to sing some of these songs in faith. You know what I mean? You, you just got to put yourself into them. It doesn't matter. You don't sing based on your circumstances. When my dad was going through cancer and and I told you, we, I mean, it was a wonderful testimony. I mean, he rarely got sick. We took communion. Remember I was telling you before, um, chemo and one time we didn't and he got sick because you got to remember what's keeping you well. (laughs) Don't take it for granted. You know, sometimes you think, I don't know, but, um, we were, and he, and during that time he did lose weight. You know what I mean? And, um, he lost his eyebrows. Um, not completely, but somewhat. They weren't thick. And so we would go to church and we would sing a song called Lift the Name of Jesus High. And it was Lift the Name of Jesus High, Lift the Name of Jesus High. Remember that one? And in that song, there's a line that says, Over death we can see. Lift the name of Jesus high, over death we can see. And I could see my dad during that song. And I would just lift the name of Jesus over death. We can see it doesn't matter what you're trying to do to him, devil. I will lift the name of Jesus up. And I never, 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 never once did it occur to me to doubt that my dad would make it. Never. Because I knew Jesus. The promise is real. The promise is real. And that's my testimony. That's my testimony to you. The promise is real. He will keep his word. If you'll just keep your side of the covenant and believe him, Cling to him. It will work. I promise you. I promise you. What about that song? I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Do you know the author who wrote that was a woman? And she was so shocked when people sang that song out of desperation. Like, I need you, Lord. I need you. Because that is not how she wrote it. She wrote it out of complete adoration, like, I need you. My life would be nothing without you. I so love you, Lord. And every hour, I want you involved. That's how she wrote it. I need you, Lord. I need you. Every hour, I need you. Isn't that true? Have you found that in your life to be true? I don't want to go one minute on my own. Because remember, you're unprofitable. (laughs) I don't want to be unprofitable. And so, um, I'm going to play a song, and they might have the words that even go with it. I think they do. And so, I just want you, um, I just want this song's minister to me, so I hope this will minister to you. I prayed that it did, it would, but I want you to absorb the words because I want you to understand, as in Noah's day, God completely caused the enemy, the evil, to vanish out of the land. That's what he told me that he wants you to understand tonight is that he is mighty and he is willing to be that God to you. He wants to fill your house to such a degree that demons run and flee. Amen. So if you'll play that song. Hallelujah. He is the great I am. And the last thing I want to leave you with is God is expecting to do something at church. We tell you all the time to expect something when you get here, but God is here every week, and he's expecting to do something. Oh, praise God.